Hello, my name is Adrian Goldberg and welcome to Byline Radio, or if you're listening on Catch Up, to the Byline Times podcast. The Byline Times, it's what the papers don't say, what radio doesn't report and what telly doesn't tell you. This time, the brutal murder of Daria Dugina, daughter of Alexander Dugin, the man dubbed Putin's brain and the architect of many of his key policies. Dugina was blown up in her father's car 30 miles outside Moscow, prompting speculation that this was an assassination attempt gone wrong. Dugin himself doesn't hold a government position, but he is seen as the architect of latter-day Russian nationalism, promoting the idea that the country should expand to follow in the footsteps of the old Russian Empire and the Soviet Union. Hence the invasion of Ukraine in February. Ukraine has already been blamed for the killing by Kremlin sources. We'll be getting more shortly from Zarina Zabrisky, who has been covering the Russian invasion of Ukraine from inside Ukraine for both Byline Times and the Euromaidan News. Before that, just a quick reminder that Byline Radio and the Byline Times podcast are funded by subscriptions to the Byline Times, our brilliant monthly newspaper. It's a fantastic paper with all sorts of content that you won't get online, and we can report without fear or favour and hold the rich and the powerful to account because our funding comes from ordinary subscribers, people like you. So do please subscribe to the Byline Times if you can. You get full details at our newsbreaking website, bylinetimes.com. That's at bylinetimes.com. And if you have already subscribed, thank you. Now, as the co-founder of the Byline Times, Peter Jukes tweeted today, nobody deserves to die like Daria Dagina did. Serena Zabriskie is here, as I say, with us. So we'll take that as granted, Serena, that this is an appalling, brutal assassination. And as Peter says, nobody should really die like this. But why is her death so important? Right. Well, uh, of course, no human uh, should be dying a violent death. And as a person who's been reporting pretty much straight on from the month of March, from the beginning of the full invasion, full-scale aggression of the Russian Federation in Ukraine, I have uh, witnessed and I have reported on many, many violent deaths throughout this time. And we are speaking about innocent people, civilians, women, and children. Now, Daria Dugina, as well as her father, Alexander Dugin, were the people who were inciting uh, the killing of the innocent people in Ukraine. Now, uh, here comes the moral judgment. Um, and I will leave it to each listener because we all have different views and different feelings. But I can tell you, and I'll be honest about it, that many in Ukraine were happy to hear about the news of Daria Dugina's death. And it's not because the people in Ukraine are cruel or they have lost their humanity. A lot of them, of course, are appalled at the details. However, um, if you look at what Daria Dugina, 29-year-old uh, political scientist and uh, journalist, uh, was saying all along for years on the Russian mass media, you might have an insight on the Ukrainians' feelings. Uh, one of the quotes is that Ukrainians are not humans 
and they deserve to die. Another one that I heard today, and that's not her father's quote, that's her quote, is that the heads of the Azovstal's uh, fighters need to be on uh, spikes and then the Russian people should decide what to do with them. And the list can go on. It's quite shocking and upsetting, just as the most of uh, the Russian propaganda. Uh, her father, Alexander Dugin, and she was a right-hand uh, person to him, is infamous for 2016 quote, uh, as for Ukrainians, you must kill, kill, kill them. I'm telling you this as a professor. And even in Putin's Russia, for these words, Dugin actually has lost his position at the Moscow State University, because even for Putin's Russia at the time, that was too extreme. So who is Alexander Dugin? He, you might have heard by this time that he's nicknamed Putin's brain. Uh, he's the main ideologist of what is known as the Russian world. And that's what Russia is trying to impose on other countries, especially on the former republics of the Soviet Union. Uh, Dugin is a self-admitted neo-Nazi with a lifelong history of work for the KGB and FSB, uh, which are the Soviet and Russian security services. And the main thing, one of the main doctrines that he's pushing on the world is Eurasianism ideology. What is Eurasianism? Uh, it's a theory uh, that was not invented by Duke, and it goes all the way back to the 1918, 19, tw early 20s, uh, when a bunch of uh, Russian linguists in exile uh, running away from the Soviet Russia, from the Bolsheviks, came up with a, a theory that uh, Russia should be at the core of the new empire, which should uh, uh, um, envelop pretty much uh, two continents, Europe and Asia, starting from Lisbon and going all the way to Vladivostok. If you look at the map, that pretty much covers it all. So uh, this theory went through various transformations, uh, and there are like a lot of thriller-worthy uh, stories with, with the uh, Eurasianists of the first wave, when the biggest KGB at the time, FSB, of course, or NKVD sting operation happened, and most of the first Eurasianists were uh, shot or died in the Bolsheviks' prison. Uh, there was a second wave of them with um, Lev Gumilov uh, developing on this theory, and I won't go into details because it will take a long time, but um, there are several uh, articles that I've shared on my Twitter, and one gives a really detailed profile. Uh, it's in Bywire uh, News Today, and the short version in Euromaidan Press, and uh, there's another um, article in a byline Times, too, so you can find all of this in details there. But Dugan picked up on the third wave of the Eurasianism, and that's what Putin, who is very nostalgic about the USSR, picked up right on the arrival uh, to 
to the power to the moment he became the president he started to speak about Eurasianism the same year just few months after he became a president he spoke at a conference in uh, Kazakhstan and he already mentioned Eurasianism and he already mentioned that Eurasia is the goal for the foreign policy now Serena sorry to interrupt you there but the idea of Eurasianism then as I understand it is that you have Europe and Russia traditionally has been seen as perhaps being on the edge of Europe or you have Asia and Russia has been seen as being on the edge of Asia but Eurasianism is the idea that Russia is neither European nor Asian but is its own distinct and superior civilization which has the right to expand beyond the current territorial borders of the Russian state. Very close with a one comment that in their view, Russia has the right to actually uh, basically devour both uh, Europe and Asia and become one huge conglomerate, one empire. And it's a very complex, uh, almost occult uh, theory, Adrian, uh, where he mentions Atlantic countries, uh, oceanic empires. It's very complex and very convoluted. Um, and uh, he he wrote, he's very, very prolific. So he wrote volumes on that. Um, and uh, we, we are pretty much uh, boiling it down to the very core but it's way more complex and way more uh, bizarre. Sure, but it does encompass then the idea of a form of aggressive nationalism, of empire building, not simply saying we as Russia are different, but we as Russia are superior and we as Russia are entitled to spread to the countries east and west of us because we are this superior civilization. Yes, and that is done under the disguise of saving the civilization, because another aspect of Dugin's uh, theory is um, that uh, Europe is basically decaying, and Russia is saving the old good traditions. They have a word for it, or the values, the principle of the old Orthodox state. And that needs to be done to save civilization from falling down into the abyss of um, basically personal freedoms. You know, they are very opposed to the individual liberties of their sexual choice, abortions, things like this. Uh, basically to all the European values, as the for European Union values that we have now. But so what we might roughly term Western liberalism, the freedom to express yourself, uh, homosexuality, for example, LGBT rights as well. These would be values that would be rejected by Eurasianism, by Dugin. Right. And there comes also another principle of Dugin's theories, which are many, uh, is that there is a multipolar uh, world versus the monopolar world. And uh, one of his theories claims that the United States and the Atlantic powers that 
allocated close to the ocean or surrounded by the ocean, and that includes the United Kingdom. And bear with me because it sounds insane, and it is insane, but such goes the theory. So they, they took over the world, and so Russia is actually restoring the balance and bringing this monopolar uh, view where many countries are dominant uh, and not just the United States, which doesn't come along with the point that Russia is a dominant state. But there's nothing logical about these theories, okay? They're pretty much madman's theories. So uh, you have to take it with a grain of salt. What's strange about it, because there are many madmen in the world and many conspiracy theorists and many crazy ideas, but this idea was taken uh, by the leadership of a huge country, of the biggest country in the world, and it's been now applied to its foreign policy and as a result to the world, which in fact is nothing new because it already happened. The experiment with the socialism slash communism had happened in 1917 and a crazy theory was applied to the same biggest country in the world. It didn't work, believe me, because I was there, I lived there, and I am an eyewitness to the fact that it didn't work. Now, this is another theory, or a bunch of theories, the cluster of theories, I would say, that don't work, but they are now resulting into yet another genocidal war and in thousands and thousands and thousands of deaths of the innocent people. Now, these are the people we're talking about that whoever was going to assassinate has partially carried out. Now, the question is here, Adrian, knowing the country very well and knowing its foreign policy and having been researching and writing about it for a long time, my first question is, who is behind this assassination? Of course, the Russian authorities, the Kremlin, uh, the um, uh, conservative, which are pretty much all of them, mass media outlets in Russia immediately scream Ukraine. However, this is not to be taken for granted because in many and many occasions, uh, a provocation like this would be carried out by the Kremlin itself in order to provoke or to run a false flag operation and blame Ukraine for that. Now, there are already a publication and a post by Tsarigrad, and this is one of the outlets where Daria Platonova is her pseudonym or Daria um, Dugina was writing for, is that we cannot tolerate the existence of Ukraine uh, in this world. It's an infernal evil empire, or not empire, country, and we should erase it from the face of Earth and destroy it. So, uh, as you could see, uh, it appears very quickly the Ukrainian authority or Ukrainian uh, government or uh, no Ukrainian party has taken any responsibility for this assassination. But the assumptions are already being made immediately and the revenge is being sought. Which mm. And it's worth, it's worth pointing out at this moment, Zarina, that Ukraine has officially denied any responsibility for this, an advisor to the president, President Zelensky, has said Ukraine has absolutely nothing to do with this because we are not a criminal state like Russia or a terrorist one at that. That's from Mikhailo Padilak, who's an advisor to President Zelensky. I mean, obviously, it's very difficult 
sitting here as I am in Birmingham in the UK or where you are, albeit in Kyiv, to know exactly what has gone on. But that is Ukraine's official stance. But that perhaps is the fear that this is some kind of false flag operation in order to justify further retribution against Ukraine. It is very possible because there, uh, Russia uh, is very much into symbolism of the dates. Um, now, this date is very uh, thought-provoking because the 19th and the 20th of August are very well known to any Russian, perhaps not of the latest generation, but of anybody um, anywhere from, say, 30, 40 and uh, older. Uh, because in 1991, there was a coup d'etat in uh, St. Petersburg and Moscow, uh, in Moscow mainly, uh, but it was um, also felt in St. Petersburg, Leningrad at the time. No, wait, it was already St. Petersburg, it just changed, yeah. Uh, when a group of the former Soviet KGB officers um, grabbed the power and tried to reverse the country's political course back to the USSR. Well, they failed, but for two, two and a half, three days, everything was up in the air, and it was a critical moment in the development of Russia at this point. And many, many people who are nostalgic for the USSR, that includes Putin, and that includes self-admittedly Dugin, uh, were very hung up on this date. Uh, it was a, that was the day when their hopes crushed. And Dugin spoke openly about that at the time and later. Uh, so um, that's one significance to this date of assassination. The other one is that 23rd and 24th of August are the days of independence of Ukraine. It's a big holiday. When I was here last year, uh, in Odessa, there was huge parades and fireworks and people were singing and it was such a happy occasion. Like everybody was out in the streets singing. It was just amazing. And it, it is a very, very meaningful occasion for, for most Ukrainians. Let's put it this way. Mm. So, and, and we've talked a lot about Dugin himself, the father who, if this attack was intended for him, we don't know that, of course, but he survived it. The suggestions that she died in his car, and he only decided at the last minute not to travel in that car. Tell us a bit more about Daria herself then, because as you've described her, she was very much a, a chip off the old block, as we would say, complicit in many of his theories. Yes, she was not an innocent bystander and a little girl or a young woman who just happened to be there. No, they were coming back from one of their uh, gatherings and conferences called Tradition, with a quite a telling name. Uh, and uh, she's been all over the uh, media and news very recently, given all kind of scandalous interviews and uh, calling for the genocidal killings in Ukraine. Uh, for instance, one of her favorite quotes was that Bucha 
uh, massacre was staged by the Americans and Ukrainians, and that Bucha location was picked for the name because it sounds just like butcher. And that was the word that Joe Biden, the president of the United States, used to describe Putin. Uh, I'll, I'll leave it at that, not commenting on that because, you know, uh, no point. But I have to say that I was in butcher personally. I went at the site of the mass graves. I spoke to eyewitnesses. Uh, I interviewed people. There are videos and articles you can find written by me and many, many others. Uh, Just to tell you that I I know personally it was not staged. And there's no signs of Americans being anywhere near there. So absurd statements like this are very typical of the Russian propaganda. And Daria Dugina was a big part of it. And for that, the United States and the United Kingdom put her and Alexander Dugin on the sanctions list. And uh, on say on the UK sanction list, uh, the it was described as a uh, frequent high profile contributor. She was described as a frequent high profile contributor of disinformation in relation to Ukraine and the Russian invasion of Ukraine because she provided support for and promoted policies or actions which destabilize, undermine, and threaten the territorial integrity, sovereignty, and independence of Ukraine. Yeah, so she was, as you say, no innocent bystander. It was the father who was, if you like, the architect of uh, Putin's nationalist expansionism. But she amplified his message. She portrayed the idea that Ukrainians were in somehow in some way less than Russians and were worthy of conquest. Uh, yes, exactly. I mean, and these people, like uh, I said in the very beginning of our talk, are responsible for thousands and thousands of lives of children and women. Uh, and um, although, of course, you know, there. Nobody should be assassinated. There shouldn't be violence. Uh, people responsible for, for this tragedy, for this war, should be facing the international court uh, where um, the international law should be applied uh, to their actions. And we all uh, understand that. Um, so, again, uh I doubt, well, I don't doubt. I just, at this point, would not be able to come up with any theories of who is responsible for that. But knowing and having studied the history of assassinations by the Kremlin, I would not exclude uh, this option, that this was staged, in fact, by the yeah. Kremlin. Itself. As you say, we... we- we can't know, but it's an option not to be excluded. I mean, she herself said, she wrote on a website earlier this year, that if Ukraine was admitted to NATO, it would, quote, perish. So that that's pretty chilling language to use. One of the curiosities of this story, Zarina, is that although her father, Dugin, as we say, Putin's brain, as he was known, was a key ideological influence on Putin, He wasn't a senior figure in government. How do we account for that? Uh, 
Yes. I mean, he was simply too crazy to put it, you know, like in a, uh, like street terms and too much of a madman uh, to be officially on the list. Because uh, believe it or not, with everything that the Kremlin is doing and everything that Putin has accomplished at this point, they do care about their appearance, about their appearances. And if you've noticed, most of the officials, until very recently, and probably the, um, the Maria Zaharova or of the foreign ministry of Margarita Simonyan of RT, known as Russia Today, also are using this insane language recently. But if you go back uh, to, say, 2016, uh, they were still quite uh, modest and moderate in language, and they were trying to sound official, uh, diplomatic. They were still within the frames of, uh, with, you know, and using the vocabulary of the international diplomacy. Dugan mm. already crossed the line, and it wasn't uh, beneficial for the Russian government to have such an extreme person as a formal official representative. Now they have crossed the line, and it doesn't uh, apply anymore because they all use this language. But uh, the decision was taken, was being taken at the time when it was still a consideration. Yeah. So in a sense, it suited Putin to have him, to have Dugin, uh, as it were, on a long leash so that if he said something particularly outrageous, there was the possibility of deniability by the Kremlin. They could say, look, this guy isn't a senior government official. He's nothing to do with us. At the same time as absorbing his key messages, his ideology as government ideology. Exactly. And there is actually another reason which is important to mention. And there's another side to Alexander Dugin's activities. And actually, this concerns Daria Dugin as well. And I haven't had time to mention it yet. And that's the connection of Alexander Dugin with pretty much every neo-Nazi or, or ultra-right, alt-right, what they call themselves, movement in the world. Uh, I uh, discovered it first in 2016, 2000. 2017, when Trump came to power, and the alt-right um, was very active in in the states. So I did a lot of research on that, and uh, I, I I was one of the many researchers who found out the connections, personal connections of Dugan with uh, pretty much every fascist on the list, you name it, and not just in America, but also in Europe. And say Dugan is very close and uh, had uh, was and was involved in negotiations with Marine Le Pen. Uh, he was involved uh, in um, uh, Greek and Italian alt-right negotiations uh, with the Kremlin. Uh, and uh, when I said that Daria Dugan is also involved, uh, she actually had an internship or studied in the Bordeaux uh, University. And uh, she is proficient, she was, proficient in French and she she knew personally Marine Le Pen for years as one of her colleagues from Sargrad uh, wrote in an obituary today. 
Mm. I'm just thinking, Zarina, if Ukraine had found some way to plant this car bomb, it would perhaps be a propaganda coup for them. I say this not lightly, recognising that a human being, albeit a pretty vile human being, as you've described her, has lost their life. Ukraine would be able to say this was a propaganda coup if it had killed her or had got close to killing her father, because it would show how far they are reaching into Russian territory. And of course, we've seen the uh, shelling recently of resorts in Crimea, which has been annexed by Russia since 2014. So if Ukraine had done it, presumably, they'd be seeking to maximise that to perhaps put some fear into the Russian government that they are perhaps closer than they, they might like to think. Well, uh, I wouldn't want to go that path. I mean, it's not impossible, just as many other options are not impossible. Um, however, I I personally, from everything I've seen, right, and it's my personal opinion, right, it's I'm not representing any of my publications, it's just me as a, as a journalist and as a researcher and a person who's been here for a while. I don't think it's in Ukraine's interest because Ukraine has been an official formal line of the government of the Ukraine is to play fair. Um, the European values are very important on the list of the European, uh, on Ukrainian government. And, um, that that's my impression. That having been said, of course, there are guerrillas and there are partisans, and there um, they have been known to assassinate collaborators in the occupied parts of Ukraine, and that is a fact. So, uh, to sum it up, I don't think that the Ukrainian government has anything to do with it. It just doesn't doesn't sound or look or feel like something they would do at this point but it you know there are independent partisan or guerrilla organizations uh and they could have done it because they they are known to to assassinate collaborators and just as we know as well in germany at the time of hitler there were people who were opposed to him who sought to assassinate him so we can't rule out either the possibility that the attack was carried out by anti-putin forces but anti-putin russian forces perhaps guerrillas acting independently that that's very possible and i also want to say something so it puts it into perspective while i see a lot of comments you know <laughs> there were uh, two articles that i produced today and one from from before from like i think 2018 or so and of course there are comments and people are commenting and i understand that you know it's a humane response to say oh somebody's kid is being killed of course it's brutal and it's horrifying. It's horrifying even to me. Um, however, just at the time when I received the news 
of, of the assassination of Daria Dugina, I received a note from one of my contacts in Zaporizhia where I spent several days talking to people and spent half a day at the refugee center where people were arriving uh, from uh, occupied territories. And we have mentioned that before uh, in our conversation. And they were, they were covered in mud and uh, there were children there. And it, it's a horrifying sight. So the person who was uh, helping me out around this site um, uh, wrote to me today and said that today uh, a woman died waiting at the filtration point, trying to get from the Russian-occupied territories to Ukraine, to, to her, you know, from her home to her home country. And all in all, there were 11 people within the last week who died uh, just waiting in the heat from dehydration. Some were um, uh, blown up by the mines that they stepped in the fields because Russians are putting their uh, mines that are not allowed by any convention. And I want to bring these people in just, just, and this woman who just died today at the same time as Daria Dugina, and she was that woman was just a civilian woman, possibly from a village or from a small town, who has nothing to do with any propaganda. And there, there are hundreds of deaths like this every day in Ukraine, and nobody speaks about them. And it's not a big deal, and they are not trending on Twitter or anywhere else. And I want to bring them up, and I want to say that Daria Dugina was responsible just as her father, for these hundreds and thousands of deaths. So when we are looking at all of this, we need to take um, into perspective many, many angles of this horrific, horrific war. And um, I don't have any conclusion to that. But definitely this assassination, this murder or this death is uh, very important. And from here, uh, Russians certainly can escalate their actions. And as a person who is sitting in Kiev right now, and with my friends here, we are very aware of that. And we already received their warning uh, to definitely hide during the air raids during the next two days and be very, very alert. Serena, it's a real privilege to speak to you as often as we do here on the Byline Radio and on the Byline Times podcast. Thank you so much for your honesty and for your insight. I've said it to you before just please stay safe and our best wishes to you and to everybody in Kyiv and the rest of Ukraine. Thank you so much. You can follow Zarina on Twitter at Zarina Zabrisky. That's probably the best place to start. She also writes at the Euromaiden News. You can listen to her on Bywire News podcast as well. And we're delighted to have her writing for Byline Times and appearing when she can on the Byline Times podcast and on Byline Radio. And I would say, please, if you can support our work here on Byline Radio and on the podcast by taking out a subscription to the Byline Times, our wonderful monthly newspaper, which has lots of original content that you can't get anywhere else. Just head over to bylinetimes.com to find out how to subscribe. That's bylinetimes.com. Thanks very much indeed for listening. And Zarina, thank you. Good luck. Cheers now. Thank you, Adrian.